Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you want to send me your comments about what you think is a good biblical church and what to look for, that's going to be our topic on Monday. We've got a pastor in studio to talk about what to look for. We've got a list, a checklist that's getting longer and longer. But what do you think are some of the most important things to look for in a sound biblical church today? Because my goodness, there's a lot that are not sound, and we need to just prepare people and give them uh, what to look for when they're trying to find a good church. Also, want to call your attention to a new podcast we've recently had. Like last week, we had Natasha Crane on. She's got a brand new book out, Faithfully Different. She's got a podcast. Also, Alisa Childers. She's got a podcast as well. Both of them are phenomenal apologists and authors, and they did a podcast together evaluating popular progressive Christian ideas, and they focused a lot on love and the meaning of love and how uh, some people use that in wrong ways just to cover all kinds of things, but good podcast with Elisa Childers and and, uh, Natasha Crane. Um, In the third segment today, we are going to be talking about a multi-faith leader gathering in Dallas in a couple days. Uh, to discuss religious intolerance and to build bridges. It's called a Global Faith Forum, which um, our guest today pointed out is, uh, this is all connected, global. Keep an eye on that word, friends. So let's open up right now uh, with our guest today. We're going to talk about why or what do current events have to do with Israel and the Bible, particularly prophecy. And we've got a lot of articles here, a new one over at Harbinger's Daily I've been looking at. Um, one about Putin and uh, China, uh, fascinating things. Also, Ukrainian President Zelensky tied to Klaus, Klaus Schwab, Justin Trudeau, and other global elites. That is fascinating. And then the updates on the Russian forces taking control of Europe's largest nuclear plant in Ukraine. Let's bring in Jim Fletcher, an author, director of Prophecy Matters, a longtime editor of Master Books, and uh, he writes a lot about these things. He blogs over at Israel Watch. Uh, it's a section of Rapture Ready. And he also hosts a weekly radio show, Israel Watch, with Jim Fletcher. Two of his books include Truth Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the dangerous theology of Rob Bell, and one we talked about the last time we had Jim on the podcast, Miracle of Israel, the shocking untold story of God's love for his people. Jim Fletcher, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Hey, great to be with you, David. I don't know what we're going to be able to talk about today. Not much going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, slow news week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, you guys know we're joking. Um, Let me just start off with a quote from Jan Markell in a recent article called Waiting in the Wings, and I'll let you respond and elaborate, and we'll take this wherever the Holy Spirit directs us today, Lord willing. She says, Gog is stirring, evil is rising, it's as though Mr. Putin is possessed. He is showing aggression not seen in decades. Nuclear forces are now alerted in Russia. Talk about perilous times. 
Israel is on alert because we know Vladimir Putin will not stop with Ukraine. Society became fear-based two years ago with the pandemic, which opened the door for government overreach. Thanks to this blundering invasion now, more than ever, he needs the natural resources and other wealth of Israel. The conflict in Ukraine is an end-time turning point. It is further destabilizing a world that is red, that is already groaning, fearful, and weary. One wonders if this is 1942 or 2022, watching refugees on the run, having left possessions, pets, people behind, tears at the heart. And Jan Markell goes on, and is this a temporary catastrophe or is it leading to World War III? How does it fit into Bible prophecy? We just know that God is allowing much to happen so that all things fall into place. The globalist cabal must keep stirring things up. To reset the world to their new world order plan, the old must be riddled with, con- with confusion and chaos. Signs are a harbinger of his return. We are seeing such events happen closer together in real time, just as the Bible predicted. Jim Fletcher, whatever thoughts you want to uh, point out from what Jan just shared. Yeah, and, and by the way, Jan's a, a great voice in, in all this. Um, she's got a lot of good insights. Amen. I, I think that the the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, a lot of us have been tracking this this kind of stuff for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, in the past when something would happen, it seemed that, you know, we're on the brink of, of some of these great prophecies unfolding. And, and then, you know, it didn't happen. But But the thing that, to me, uh, makes this a different time period is that, you know, back in the day, say 40, 50 years ago, um, as as bleak as it was with the Cold War, uh, I think geopolitics today are far more unstable than mm-hmm. they were then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had, I mean, you just had fewer targets, it seems like. I mean, we, we always worried about the Soviet Union and, and you know, some of their acolytes and things like that. But now it, it seems every corner of the world is completely destabilized. And, hmm. you know, something that happens in, in a, a country that most of us couldn't find on a map now could affect, uh, you know, all of us. Uh, there, there's, and I know we'll get into this more later, but, you know, the <clears throat> the concern over the, the nuclear uh, plant in U- Ukraine, I mean, yeah. that... You know, if, if if there was a catastrophic event there, that would affect uh, far more than just Europe. So that kind of thing is what makes this a different uh, era, I, I, I believe. And and where it goes, of course, we don't exactly know in fine detail, but we do know the, the broad outlines. That's right. What's fascinating, too, about this, Jim, is you've got Christians, you've got um, atheists, you've got uh, Jews, you've got all kinds of people, journalists and others, commenting on this, giving their take. And I want to, uh, something that Jan shared in that article that I have linked at standupforthetruth.com, she said, the globalist cabal must keep stirring things up, pandemics, wars. She said, to reset the world to their new world order, the old must be riddled with confusion and chaos. Ben Shapiro, um, over at American Family Network, um, 
This article is called Putin Wakes Up the Western Ostrich. Jim, I want to get your take on that. Ben Shapiro said Russian President Vladimir Putin saw Western weakness as the impetus for his final grand strategic move, the destruction and occupation of Ukraine, and the West has been shocked back into reality. Times and technologies may change, but human nature remains the same. Then he quotes Orwell in 1940 about the rise of the Nazis. And he concludes, it appears that the West is rising again to meet the challenge of Russian aggression. We can only hope that the West's newfound commitment lasts longer than Putin's invasion. If it doesn't, the reshaping of the world will continue to the lasting detriment of a West that is only now removing its head from the sand. Jim, a, a very provocative and powerful thoughts, I, th- I think. Well, it is. Um, you know, I think that uh, the fly in the ointment there is how, how willing is the West to, to stay at this for the long haul? I mean, mm. it, to dislodge Russia, uh, will they? I, I don't know. If you look <clears> at... Western leadership right now, it has to be the weakest since World War II. Yes. And, and where, anywhere, is there uh, a leader capable of, uh, you know, opposing uh, aggression from another country? I mean, you've got Macron in France. Um, he spent 90 minutes on the phone with Putin the other day, got nowhere. Um, Boris Johnson in the U.K., uh, Biden. Uh, Trudeau in Canada. It's Putin. Putin is not stupid, and and you know people. And, and look, I, I have to be honest. I did not think he would do this. Hmm. Um, I was I was caught off guard, like like others were. Um, but he's he's a very calculating guy. He's a very smart guy. Um, he obviously looked at the risks and decided it was worth taking. And and I don't know at all that the West will uh, stand up to him hmm. uh, and, and do what they need to do to, to get him out of Ukraine. I, I, don't, I don't know that at all. Uh, and, and, you know, look, he's, he's gambling to some degree, but, but still I think it's a calculated gamble on his part. And, uh, you know, if he were to, to last longer than we think he might, uh, he, of course, also has in his back door – uh, alliances with China and in Turkey and in other despots around the, the world. Um, he, I, I don't think his position is as weak as we might hope it is. Are you talking about with some of the sanctions and other things? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, some of his own alliances with these other countries can help prop him up in, in certain ways. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I don't, I, I certainly don't know where this is going to end or how it's going to play out exactly, but I, I would not count him out um, as quickly as some are. I agree. Um, it's fascinating that um, a lot of people speculate that Putin would not have done this had Donald Trump been in the White House, and we can speculate all day long. Um, but let's talk about uh, Russia and China. Um, Putin and uh, uh Xi, it's it's interesting that this diplomatic dance 
Um, just before the, uh, let's see, it's actually last week there was a U.N. Security Council vote, and China, it was a resolution demanding that uh, Russia end its military attack. China voted to abstain, apparently, rather than choose a side. Now, this was fascinating because I think it was at the Olympics or prior to the Olympics, um, Putin and uh, China's President Xi Jinping shook hands and signed papers to publicly announce the two were strengthening their cooperation over international finance and energy and what they what was called a new era of partnership and to challenge the U.S. and its allies. China is Russia's largest, largest trading partner. So how does this work into any of what we're seeing, Jim? Well, I think it's uh, we, we mentioned this a few minutes ago. Um, Putin did not take this action without having some some ducks in a row hmm. and and I think that uh, as I said earlier um, their long uh, ties with China have allowed both of them to plan for such scenarios like we're seeing unfolding you know for us this stuff happens suddenly hmm. for them um, in in terms of what they're doing now you know they've they've got uh, They've they've got their their plans that are long range. The other thing I would mention about this that I think is interesting and relevant, um, you know, in in the West primarily, not not just the West, but primarily here, we we look at things differently than they do, and I, and I think one of the important things to factor in is that, you know, Russia and Putin when they're making an alliance with China like this, where they they feel that they can. Uh, have more impact on global markets than we might think they can. Uh, they simply look at life and the world differently, and and I don't I don't want to get too tall in the weeds of philosophy here, but I mm-hmm. think it's relevant that they they have evolutionary uh, underpinnings, and and so uh, they they approach war differently. They approach how they govern people differently. There aren't as many constraints for them as there might be for what I'd call a more moral uh, West, and and so life is is hard in Russia. It has been for a thousand years. Life is hard in China. Um, they they they're not they're not in danger of losing uh, luxurious lifestyles like we might be. So they are at times more willing to take bold gambits and and do things that that surprise the rest of us and so uh, that's kind of a meandering answer but I, I think that if if we keep in mind that Xi and, and Putin simply look at the world differently they look at life differently um, and, and as Christians for us you know it, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that in their uh, in their worldview you know, there's there's not a, a glorious eternity waiting. There's not, mm. you know, so it's it's get all you can in this life because that's all there is. Mm. We're speaking with Jim Fletcher, and uh, the book we talked about last time we had Jim on the podcast is called Miracle of Israel. Um, we're going to talk in the next segment about uh, what current events have to do with Israel, and the Bible will, of course, allude to Ezekiel 38 more and talk about that. But there's one thing I thought was interesting, too. Now, here's a different angle, Jim, as if there aren't enough. I mean, it's like a—it's it's, it's more than an octopus uh, than, than all these different, uh, you know, uh, branches and arms. But 
Let's talk about Zelensky for a minute. I was almost caught up into the, um, hey, let's get in, get in his corner because uh, he's the victim here and uh, he was in fatigues and, you know, camo decided to stay rather than be rescued and leave the country. And, and we're uh, kind of almost giving him hero status. But let's not forget that uh, he apparently is a globalist and he is tied to some of these other leaders. In fact, there's a tweet I'm looking at here from three years ago where he said, Justin Trudeau was one of those leaders who inspired me to join politics. So, Jim, just your quick quotes. We have four minutes left in this segment. While Zelensky has shot to stardom from relative obscurity from the perspective of the West since this Russian-Ukrainian conflict became international news last week, his admiration for Trudeau comes as less of a surprise when looking into his background. And I wonder what you know, what you know, what you can tell us about Zelensky. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this because I think this is a, a really key thing. Um, you know, too often, I think, and, and I do the same thing, we are too quick to jump into the corner of, of somebody like this who we don't really know. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're right about the things you said. You know, Zelensky, uh, I mean, look, he's virtually a dictator in his country. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Russia, if Putin is jailing, uh, you know, media that, that are not friendly, so is Zelensky. Zelensky does a lot of the same things. He flies under the radar mm-hmm. for two reasons. He's not he's not the, the global figure that Putin is, but also I believe Zelensky is protected in some degree by – uh, by people in the West, um, you know, look, you've got the Bidens in bed with the the, the Ukrainians. The, the corruption is off the chart. Yes. Uh, if 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 corruption is high in Russia, they could probably take some lessons from uh, Ukrainians who have always been that way. Um, you know, the Ukrainians have a pretty bloody history with the Jews, mm. and and so so these guys are not. I don't think the the Braveheart. <laughs> type figures that we that we think they are. Exactly. The other thing I'd mention uh, real quick is that um, we also have to understand how corrupt the media are. Mm. And and look, this can be a little bit on both sides because you know they're they're presenting him and you know he's the the, the photographs that first came out in the first twenty four hours of this invasion. Zelensky looks like he's on the front lines in camo. Well, those those. Pictures are from December, I think, or November. Interesting. Um, so there's some manipulation of images yeah. and things like that. They're positioning him to be this freedom fighter. I'm not sure that he is. Now, uh, Putin is is absolutely a dangerous character. There's no question. But I think we should be cautious before we uh, uh, jump in with uh, a guy like Zelensky. Amen, brother, and thank you. And by the way, we want to parenthetically insert the fact that there is a Christian remnant over there, a church in the Ukraine. There are believers. There are poor people that are being victimized. So we are not downplaying that at all. We're just pointing to the leadership and the globalist theme we have going here. And I want to read a quote 
from this article. We just have one minute left in this segment, Jim. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. While many are skeptical of Russian President Vladimir Putin and his former ties to the KGB, scrutiny of the other side of the conflict seems absent in mainstream outlets, which has worried many considering the radical nature of the World Economic Forum and their Great Reset goals. So this is interesting, and you point out something that we've tried to hammer home for the last several years, many years, over a decade, about the complicit evil that the mainstream media across the board tries to propagate and what they're doing not only in our country but worldwide. So we've got Jim Fletcher on the line here today. A lot more when we come back including some questions about what does all this have to do with Israel and how is Israel affected. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Jim Fletcher. We are talking about Israel, world events, uh, globalism, um, what we're going through, what we're experiencing in the news right now, the complicit nature of our media, friends. And I was just saying off the air, and Jim, you can you know, comment on this, whether to what extent you might agree or disagree, that I'm kind of jaded in a way because one of the first things that got me going as far as my interest in journalism and blogging was the bias and of the progressive media today. And that this was years ago. And I've tried to just expose their worldview and and what we're seeing now um, when they are really reporting kind of one side of the story. You know, Russia's the bad guy. What, I always think, OK, what's underlying all that's going on and what do we as Christians need to look for? Your thoughts? I, I actually couldn't agree more. I think that with with regard to the the, the developments right now in Europe, um, it, it's not that I am trying to uh, throw cover for Putin or Russia or anything like that. It's just that I think we should be very, very cautious mm. about what is actually going on until yes. more facts come to light. And it, But as you said, and I think it's a really important point, people do not understand how much the media lie. Mm. They lie all the time, every day, in headlines, in editorializing, in what should be straight news stories, uh, images. Um, all these things are manipulated to 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 give people a certain perspective, and so uh, it, it's it's almost our biggest problem. And in fact, I think that the the misinformation out there right now is at Soviet era levels. It, it I, this must be what it was like to live in the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s when you, you literally couldn't trust anything you were being told. Um, I, I think in America today, it's really at those levels, yes. and, it, and it can be disorienting. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think uh, not to—well, I'm going to bring up the subject of medical tyranny and the propaganda that's come from the government, from the globalists pushing the Great Reset and the pandemic. Just look at some of what the media has endorsed and gotten behind— and, of course, they say follow the science when they seem to be contradicting themselves left and right. But let's go back to an article now from Amir Sarfati called They Are for War. And, uh, Jim, he said another conventional battlefield has arisen from this conflict, and that is found in Syria. The Russians are recruiting Syrians to come fight for them in Ukraine. Israel is in a difficult position. 
Israel joined with 140 other countries of the UN in voting to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This puts Israel in hot water with the Russians. And then he says, because of the strong Russian presence and influence in Syria, Israel is essentially sharing a de facto border with the country. It is very likely that it will be across this border that Russia will invade during the Ezekiel 38 war. There's a little bit to unpack there, Jim Fletcher, so go ahead, have at it. Well, you know, we know that Russia has had a presence in Syria uh, for the last decade. Uh, the the Syrian civil war that started in, I think, 2010 or 11 was, uh, I believe, orchestrated um, by forces outside Syria. Uh, the Russians have always coveted a warm weather port in the Middle East. Uh, they now have that. Um, they're, they're in Syria for the long haul. Um, and, and so they have been propping up the Assad regime for the better part of a decade. Uh, they're entrenched there now. Um, and, and I find it very, very interesting that just recently, I think it was the Russian foreign minister, um, actually uh, had the temerity to say that, that Israel uh, did not uh, have claim to the, the Golan Heights. Now, that's, that's a very, very provocative, and it goes back to something we talked about earlier. Putin is very, very calculating, mm-hmm. and he, they don't do anything for no reason, and I think that they've made incremental progress in parking themselves on Israel's northern border. And so to make a provocative statement about the Golan Heights like that means that, that Putin is pretty confident that he's in a good position there. Mm. It's almost it's he almost gave an indicator of what his plans were, right? Yeah, he did. I mean, um, hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, but <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, but but he's a strategic thinker, and uh, and they they think about these things for a long time. Um, so it, it appears that uh, he has some designs on, on Israel's sovereignty. Now, the other thing that I think he's capitalizing on. This is something we touched on in the, in the first segment. He is now facing historic weakness in Western leaders. I don't mean to say that Naftali Bennett in Israel is weak. I don't, he's not, but he is inexperienced. Mm. If, if this were Netanyahu, um, I think that Putin would be a little more careful about uh, uh, the things he's doing. Yes, and I agree 100%. Just like we speculated, or I have, that if uh, President Trump was still in office, I think that may have dissuaded uh, Putin. But you look at Trudeau, and you look at Biden, and you look at the weakness, as you mentioned, in the West, and and leaders, even around the globe. I mean, gosh, you're going, wow, Putin, nobody's a threat to him, it seems. That's correct. Um, We know that that UN security forces are are a joke. Uh, they've they've literally thrown down their weapons before in hot spots around the world. I'm not so sure that NATO won't be a, a similar type opponent for Russia should it come to that. Now I'm not saying you know NATO is exactly weak. I'm questioning the resolve that NATO and European countries have long term. Hmm. To, to try to dislodge Putin. Um, he's playing for the long game. 
Um, you know, it, it's just fascinating that, mm-hmm. that he now all of a sudden is not facing a Ronald Reagan or a Trump or a Netanyahu. It's it's these people that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Trudeau uh, goes into hiding over truckers. I mean, uh, Putin has to be literally laughing at, at the, the lineup opposite him. Mm. <laughs> I think you're right, sadly. Um, but this is where we are, and we we get what we deserve in the leaders that we elect, and God judges. He uses evil men to judge and evil leadership. Um, you mentioned Benjamin Netanyahu. It was just last week that he gave a warning. He said, he call, he, I call on the Israeli government to behave responsibly, to speak less about what they don't need to talk about, and to deal more with the existential security threats. So here's Netanyahu trying to say, wait a minute, guys, we've got to really understand what's happening here. Um, he mentioned the nuclear deal with Iran and uh, other things. But let's talk about the importance of Damascus, because that's in Syria. And I know a lot of uh, people have been, you know, kind of, you know, keeping their eye on what's going on over there. And, and we forget uh, the focus on Damascus and, and prophecy, as Amir Sarfati mentioned in that article, that this could be the door here, uh, Syria, to uh, the invasion, Ezekiel 38 war. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, people forget how close Damascus is to Israel uh, proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, during the the Six Day War and the in the seventy three War, Israel was in position. They, they were about an hour from Damascus. They could have taken over the country. Hmm. Um, so, so they're they're just physically closer to each other than people realize, which yeah. which makes those wars over there of short duration. Um, you know. You can't say anymore that Assad and the Syrians are really the government in Damascus. It's the Russians that are the government in Damascus. Mm. I think I think Assad is in you know he's in uh, he's somewhere on the coast. Mm. Uh, so uh, you know from that standpoint, um, Putin and the Russians have put themselves in a good position from their perspective to uh, to be a player at the very least. Um, but but at some point, uh, as as you said, as we've alluded to, they'll they'll uh, there'll be an invasion of of Israel itself. Now, when exactly that happens, we we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I I do think that you know again I I always want to err on the side of caution, and I've mentioned this I think before, but a profound thing I heard once from David Lewis, the the great prophecy teacher, he said. Bible prophecy is not given to us so that we can predict the future and, and, you know, map things out. It's given to us so that as these things happen, we understand what's happening. Hmm. And and I think that's a big lesson in this. The other thing I wanted to mention about uh, Gog Magog, which I, I find completely fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a detail in those two chapters in Ezekiel that is often overlooked, it, it says that God puts a hook in Gog's jaws and turns him around. Hmm. Um, that's something that I didn't pick up on for a long time. And so I, my assumption always was that whoever this leader was had had made these plans for a long time. And it was the, you know he's getting his ducks in a row and things like that. That's not what the Scripture indicates. It indicates that this happens suddenly. And it's a thought that comes into his mind at the last minute. Now, 
we, of course, aren't going to know when that exactly starts, but but I think it I think that's an interesting thing to keep in mind hmm. that yeah. that it it's it's done solely by God's sovereignty on His timetable, and and it's not been thought out by this leader at all. It it happens quickly. Wow, um, and that's a fascinating point right there. It's more to think about. So we already know, Jim, uh, there's a coalition of nations mainly run by either dictators or they're Islamic nations, Muslim nations, that many of them have openly said they want to wipe Israel off the map. So in your, other than God's sovereignty, and I think we, I mean, we can't discount the obvious that it's because of God's protection, but why do you speculate that it hasn't happened yet with all the Israel again is massively outnumbered and all these nations around it. And now you've got Iraq, Iran, you Russia going into Syria now and, and Turkey. So just your thoughts on that. Now it's just, I find it fascinating and I know God's timing will ultimately prevail. Yeah. You know, the, if we're looking at the perspective of Israel's enemies, they don't have the advantage of a biblical worldview. And so, you know, they'll make calculations uh, militarily that uh, seem rational and, and sane to them at the time, but they're mistakes. And so I think that's that's one of the explanations as to why Israel survived to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, obviously, it's always the sovereignty of God. He, he promised a long time ago that Israel would survive, uh, you know, regardless of what uh, American magazines put on their covers. You know, Newsweek and Time, they routinely, had, when they were still in business, they would run these articles, uh, you know, can Israel survive? Uh, of course they will. It's just <laughs> their enemies don't think they will. Yep. And and that, that causes them to make uh, serious miscalculations. If people would simply read the history of Israel's modern wars, I mean, go back and look at Nasser in Egypt, the the miscalculations that he made that led him to disaster. Um, he made them because he, he, obviously he's he's working for the other side, and, uh, uh, and and so you know while evil is strong and and intelligent in a certain way. It's also insane. I mean, the the devil is insane, and so you know that's why some of his minions uh, put themselves in these positions and and then uh, uh, go off to catastrophic defeat. And then all of Israel's enemies in the modern era have gone on to catastrophic defeat. Uh, defeat. We know it. We've seen it. We expect it in the future. It's just that they don't. What if? An excellent point, Jim. I think it's it's fascinating that it's a miscalculation based on they don't have a biblical worldview, so they're just looking at things militarily, maybe economically, maybe in other aspects. I think that is a fascinating point that we need to remember that uh, that takes place right now. And I'm I'm going right now. I just want to ask you quickly about Ezekiel thirty-eight sixteen. Um, just an interesting verse here that comes into play. It says, and it's God speaking, you know, through Ezekiel, and he's saying to Gog, uh, this is what the Lord God says, uh, verse uh, 16 in Ezekiel 38, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me 
when I am hollowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Jim, break that down for us. We'll, 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 def- we'll start now, and we'll do more on the other side of the break. Yeah, th- this is another fascinating aspect of this. Um, w- what God is essentially saying is, I'm, I'm throwing down a gauntlet, and I'm, gonna, I'm doing this on such a big scale that you cannot deny that I did it when the smoke clears. Um, so let, let's look at, uh, at Israel itself. You know, we know that this is going to be some type of coalition army that comes against Israel, and there, there's enough detail in these in these chapters that we understand that the, this invasion force actually gets into Israel. They 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 are standing on the the mountains of Israel, hmm. uh, looking to the west. They're looking at that that fertile valley that. Uh, uh, down to Tel Aviv and in Haifa, uh, and and it's at that moment that you know they're they're prepared to kill it. They're going to kill Israel and and be done with them. Finally, that is the exact second that God intervenes and destroys that army. Now, yeah. if if you look at the eastern side of this, it, it's kind of a I, I want to say it. I think it's a three thousand foot ascent to the to the peak of the mountains. But it's difficult terrain. Hmm. However, if an army can get to that point, if they can, you know, traverse all that, once they get to the peak, they're looking at the west. Uh, the western side is a as a gentle sloping, uh, not nearly as steep. So, just from that standpoint, they are at their peak efficiency. That is the very moment that God destroys them. Wow. Um, he he even says, you know, he even says that he's going to leave. Uh, a sixth of that army, uh, basically as a as a uh, a lesson to everyone, they they can go back and tell everybody we were there and we saw what happened. Wow! And this is not this is not a natural occurrence. Wow! And again, miraculous. As that's Ezekiel thirty eight sixteen, we were just talking about, and as we talked about the last time we had you on the podcast, Jim Fletcher, about the wars and about what happened in seventy three with with the U S. at the last minute, Nixon three a.m. phone call with Golda Meir, got them the supplies and what they needed to finally turn things around when they were almost ready to surrender. Fascinating. God has always intervened, and we know prophetically that he will again. Our guest today is Jim Fletcher. We've got to take a break, but when we come back, we'll continue this conversation on what does this have to do with prophecy and Israel and Ukraine and Russia in in Ezekiel 38. Fascinating times. At least these things are harbingers. We'll talk more in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
Jim Fletcher's book is really important to understand why he has a love for Israel, why the church should also, and some of the contents he wrote about in The Miracle of Israel. Um, he talked about the, the reign of judges. He talked about the state of Israel being born, of course. We're looking at uh, what happened in 1948 on that great day, um, uh, God's end game, the millennial kingdom, and so much that he uh, discusses in the book. So, Jim Fletcher, if you want to just connect some of the things that you wrote about, maybe that we talked about last time, to what's happening today, I know there's a connection somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, the connection is, uh, in, in what we tried to bring out in the book, is that you can look at Israel's modern history, and it's undeniable that God is intervening in uh, their lives today, their their country. Um, anybody who rejects that, I really think they, they don't want to believe in God. Mm. There's plenty of evidence to believe that that he's there and acting in history. Now, the other thing is, and I, I'm, I try to make this point a lot, if God is doing that for a nation, what will he do for you as an individual? Hmm. He's he's well able to to you know save you from uh, a situation that you think is uh, inescapable, and and so from that standpoint, it's you know it's kind of applicable to anybody's uh, individual life. Um, so I, the last point I would make there is that if we can look behind us and see that uh, you know the the War of Independence in 1948, the Six Day War, the Yom Kippur War, all of these conflicts. Israel's enemies had a complete advantage militarily, and yet Israel beat them every time. Not only beat them, beat them badly. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, we're looking at current conflicts, we're looking at conflicts to come, including Gog Magog. Uh, Believers should be the most confident people on the planet. I I can already tell you that Israel is going to win the future wars. Um, I mean, the Lord wins it for them, but their enemies will be vanquished, and the, the Lord said that they would. So we we shouldn't worry, we shouldn't fret um, like we do. I think we should take comfort in uh, God's promises because they're always they're always sure. So let's go back to what we were talking about specifically with Russia and Iran, and we need to, I mean, Russia and Ukraine, because we need to wrap up this. There's a very important topic we need to get to before we end this podcast today, but um, Ron Rhodes went on record to say uh, he didn't know of any references to Ukraine in the Bible. And uh, he said, is it possible that ancient Rosh, modern-day Russia, had boundaries larger than present-day Russia, biblical Persia, which is modern-day Iran, was much larger than, larger than modern Iran? So talk to us about that. Is there something to look at there, the, the past borders that may have changed that may affect the interpretation of what nations are part of this in the, in the uh, invasion in the end? Well, you know, I don't I don't have any specific insights into that other than you don't have to go very far back into European history before it gets pretty shrouded in, in mist and in and even myth. <laughs> we don't know what a lot of the ancient borders were. The mm. the thing that's important to remember is that those people are there now. Um they're in close proximity to each other. So even if there aren't specific borders or countries that we can find by name, they're they're right there next to each other. You know, you mentioned that uh, the Russians are getting Syrians 
to go fight in Ukraine, mm-hmm. the same thing applies in these other countries. If if Ukraine isn't mentioned in the Gog Magog scenario, it's it's a certainty that there will be some fighters from Ukraine involved in it, uh, whether they link up with the Russians or the Turks or whoever it might be. So, um, you know, the, the, the countries are there. Uh, we we know the general outlines of the the borders and the Gog Magog uh, coalition. It, but the most important thing is that they will they will move against Israel. Yes, and just to, um, go ahead. Well, I, I'm just going to say this real quick. Um, another reason that I don't get so uh, wrapped up in in a lot of details is that I remember I mentioned David Lewis. I remember 40 years ago, David wrote a book called uh, Gog Magog 1982 Cancelled, and what he was referring to was. The Israelis, when they went into to Lebanon in 82-83, they found a huge cache of, of Soviet weaponry hmm. in tunnels in Lebanon. And, and you know, the thought was that, I mean, among Christians that support Israel, they thought at the time, well, you know, Gog Magog was about to break out. We don't know that exactly. We All we know is that these countries have been acting um, – uh, the way they have for a long time, and, and periodically, there's uh, you know some move made against Israel, but then it's always thwarted. Mm. Um, really quick, I just want to clarify: Dr. Ron Rhodes and Dr. Andy Woods and many others kind of uh, keep things keep the options open because they say that it's uh, it's they are hesitant to put Ukraine in the menu of the Ezekiel invaders, but they don't completely rule out the possibility. So, how's that for a political almost an answer of a politician there, Jim Fletcher? Um, so, let's go to this final topic now, and we wanted to get to this because, as you said insightful. Uh, This is all connected. There is a global faith forum taking place in a few days, March 6 and 7 in Dallas, a multi-faith leader gathering to discuss religious intolerance and build bridges. And the allies are among uh, evangelical leaders, Muslim leaders, Jewish faith leaders, co-hosted by uh, uh, Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, and one of the speakers is Dr. Muhammad Al-Isa, Sec- Secretary General of Muslim World League. There's so much in this, uh, Jim Fletcher. It's fascinating. So share your thoughts on this and our concern as Christians about uniting with other faiths and uh, for what purposes. Yeah, you know, this is a story that I've been on for several years. When I first uh, became aware of uh, Bob Roberts Jr., this mm-hmm. pastor at this Baptist church in, in Keller, Texas, of all places. So he's Baptist, Southern <laughs> Baptist, and a Texas church. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you would expect this out of Princeton or, or Duke Divinity School or something, but not not this. So um, for whatever reason— uh, years ago, he became cozy with, um, you know, Muslim imams, um, clerics. Uh, he started a lot of interfaith dialogue, and he's had um, a, a two or three of these conferences down there. Now, it, it's just a mind bender to me that a Baptist pastor, an evangelical, would. A hobnob with people like this, and and some of the people that he's had, uh, especially Iranian uh, clerics, 
look, they're, I, I promise you that they're on the, uh, our national security list as being a, a terrorist and, and enabling terrorist groups. Yeah, interesting. Um, you can, if you go back and look at some of the, some of these speakers at, at these events, and then you do a little digging, which is not hard to do, you'll find out exactly who they are, and it is absolutely shocking the 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 nefarious type people that he brings in uh, to these things. You know, his view is that he's simply trying to help different groups understand each other and that sort of thing. I'll go so far as to say I find it unconscionable that a Baptist pastor, an evangelical, would would help mainstream people like this into the evangelical world. Mm. Um, I don't know exactly his motivations, but I know that that this is a, a disaster waiting to happen. And uh, and and further, and and here's the the connections with the the globalism we're talking about. Roberts is friendly with a lot of uh, famous evangelical leaders that that everybody would know if you look at their you know, their Twitter accounts and Instagram and, and all their other social media stuff, why they, they link arms all the time. Why haven't any of them sounded the alarm about what Roberts is doing with the Global Faith Forum? Um, I, I'm, I'm just stunned by, by this. Um, but, but if you start connecting the dots, and, you know, David Horowitz, at, uh, uh, the, the conservative thinker, he, he has this thing called Connect the Dots, and yes. I think that's a really valuable thing that we we all can do. If you look at who these people associate with, you'll you'll discover that there's a very short distance between somebody uh, in, in an evangelical leadership position and uh, uh, George Soros, for example. Wow. Soros funds a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I want to emphasize, I'm not talking about mainline churches or Catholic churches. Those, those have been progressive for a long time. This is an infiltration of the evangelical leadership world that has been going on for years. Um, I think that it was launched with the church growth movement 40 or 50 years ago, and that enabled them then to to knock down walls between denominations. And so... What Roberts is doing is not all that unusual in a lot of evangelical circles, and and so if you look at how evangelical leaders like Ed Stetzer, uh, Russell Moore, how they're used by the left to promote globalist agendas, it, it goes beyond interfaith dialogue. For example, just the other day it came out, um, I think it's a Daily Wire reporter named Megan Basham, she did a really great job of exposing Moore and Stetzer and these people who are propping up guys like Francis Collins, Anthony Fauci, hmm. in with the the uh, the vaccine mandates and stuff. All of this stuff is connected. They're all connected, and I personally think that they they have close coordination in their messaging. Their their game is to infiltrate, and I believe change the evangelical church, and I think they're well on their way to doing it. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. You mentioned Horowitz, and I think of Front Page Magazine, 
frontpagemag.com. Fascinating article, don't have enough time to get into, but it says Islam is the only winner in the Ukraine war because it says it's a tough choice between Muslim Europe and Muslim Russia, and that's by Daniel Greenfield. So uh, I love Horwitz, and uh, the, the site is actually on our page two, the resources at standupforthetruth.com. We've got over 200 now in alphabetical order to help you connect the dots, people that are listening. Um, I want to mention some of the, the speakers and some of these uh, leaders that are going to be at this multi-faith gathering called, uh, what is it again? Unlikely. That's what the name of it, but it's the Global Faith Forum. Let's go, uh, like David Beasley, Executive Director of the United Nations, of course, World Food Program winner of the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize, also an, an ambassador of international religious freedom, co-founder of Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. How about Ambassador Rashad Hussein with uh, that same organization? Christine Kane is an Kane. author and founder of Propel Women and the A21 campaign. What do you know about Christine Kane, Jim? Well, you know, for 10 or 12 years, she's been an up-and-comer on the uh, the evangelical speaking circuit. She's, I think she's Australian, but she is, she's at every major evangelical conference. She's mainstreamed by everybody from Andy Stanley to Russell Moore, okay. uh, Beth Moore. That and, says a lot. And it, it does. And, and so she, though, stands out like a sore thumb in this group because she is in the very heart of evangelicalism. As just, you know, I think she calls herself a Bible teacher, whatever it is. What is she doing with Muslim clerics and, and UN people at, at this conference? I, I think that I think that what the goal is is once they bring someone like her into the fold, think about how she leverages her network to bring this stuff in. So all of a sudden now you have, say, a woman's study group that is now, um, you know, considering going to a conference like this or whatever. And so the infiltration wow. of, of, of jihadists into the evangelical world continues apace. And she's connected with Hillsong Church, what part of the uh, leadership Absolutely. in Australia, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And so the discernment among individuals and groups like this is, is just bottom of the barrel. It's just not even there. Yeah, and we didn't mention Walter Kim, president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Um, yes. Boy, keep your eye on that, friends. Jim, thank you for your time today. Fascinating conversation. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, Jim Fletcher, uh, check out his book. We got it linked up in the podcast notes, Miracle of Israel. God bless you, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, uh, Monday, we've got Pastor Kevin Minsky of Christ the Rock, De Pere, Wisconsin, about uh, what to look for in a good biblical church. We're going to go through our recommended church checklist, and uh, this is very important for you to check out. Um, let's look at who's coming up also next week. Carl Kirby with Reasons for Hope, J.B. Hickson, Linda Harvey, and God bless you. Thanks, guys, for listening. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>